Well, good morning to each and every one of you. It's a privilege to be here with you this morning. Uh, my name is Ottavio Palombaro. I come from quite far away uh, from Italy. Um, grew up in Italy. I was a Roman Catholic for 24 years of my life. Very, very much from a very Catholic family until the Lord Jesus Christ in his mercy opened my eyes to see the wonderful salvation that we can have in him through faith, apart from our good works. And after that, in the past 11 years, I've been following the Lord, been involved almost immediately after six months of my conversion, whether in church planting or in churches uh, as to this day. And uh, it is a ple pleasure and a privilege for me to be with you this morning to share God's word and to get to know you uh, this morning. I would ask you if you have a copy of God's Word to open the letter of the Apostle James in the New Testament. James, uh, the words of our text this morning will be from James chapter 3 verses 1 to 12. James 3 verses 1 to 12. Hear now the proclamation of God's Word. Now many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to brittle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, whatever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and birds of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things are not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Thus far the reading of God's word, let us now pray, asking the Lord to direct us as we expound God's word. Oh God, as the prophet Isaiah encountering the three times holy God pronounced, Woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. When we're face to face with your holiness, O Lord, we do realize our shortcomings. And even as I climb, Lord, this pulpit this morning, with the realization of your holiness, please come to the help of our weakness. 
of our many stumblings, of our many needs, of our many weaknesses, O Lord. Asking you, Lord, to, through your Spirit, take those weak vessels and transform them for your glory, to make a good use, Lord, to sanctify our lips, so that this morning the meditation of our hearts, Lord, may be acceptable to you, O God. Lord, come to the help of our uh, self and our sinfulness wherever it needs to be, Lord. And may you point us with your two-edged word to guide us, Lord, to a renewed life and a change and transform use of our uh, things that you've given us, beginning with our mouth, but going all the way to our heart, Lord, that it will be renewed. And that you will change us and transform us for your glory. Sanctify us, O Lord, we pray. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, amen. During World War II, there was a famous uh, battleship. Uh, uh, the German army was boasting about this Bismarck. It was a ship that was so great, so mighty, so powerful that it was invincible. Uh, the British Army had tried to come face to face with this battleship and uh, one of the pride of the British Army had sank by the Bismarck and failed any attempt. It looked like the Bismarck ship was invincible. It looked like nothing could make it fail. It was great. It was big. It was the pride of the German Nazi regime. And yet, one tiny plane dropped a torpedo that struck and irreparably damaged the small little rudder of the ship. That one small little rudder. And what happened? The ship could not go anywhere. It's the only thing they could do by now was turning on its face and round around and running in circles. And all of a sudden, all the airplanes, all the firepowers of the Allies powers went in and bombed. And that mighty ship sank for that little rudder. The entire glory of the German army sank in the ocean. So it is in life. A misdirected uh, boss or a chief officer can wreak havoc upon an entire um, corporation. And so it is in the church. A heedless pastor can decimate a church. Friends, it is very difficult. But we are urged to control our tongue. And that is what we want to see today. We want to tame our tongue. Because out of the tongue comes out it is the rudder of our human life and if we're not careful we can do a lot of destruction this is a letter of james just to, before we get into the text we want to see first of all that james if you know a little bit of the history james is actually the natural brother of jesus christ and so what i want you to picture is Older brother Jesus is growing up in the family. And James saw him growing up. He had a perfect tongue. Jesus, 
never complained. He never said something wrong to his parents. He never had a word off. And little brother James watches Jesus growing up. And we're told in the gospel here and there a few details, but it looks like none of the brothers of Jesus, including James, was a believer. In fact, they mocked him. And in the gospel of John, it seems to point to the fact that he was not a converted man. But he had watched Jesus throughout his life. And after the resurrection, James actually, we find him in Acts of the Apostle, becoming one of the most prominent apostles together with Peter and John of the whole church. To the point that he's called a pillar of the church in Jerusalem. Which means he was writing this letter to all the churches scattered in the Mediterranean. As you saw on the map of the gym. He writes and he was among the also letters that like 1st, 2nd, 3rd John that we just read this morning. Are considered the Catholic epistles which means universal written to the whole church there's not like paul where he writes to churches in ephesus colossians no it's written for all churches so there's not particular address to one church but it is intended as a letter to give guidelines for every church guidelines and it's one of the most practical letter you would not find james speaking about you know justification like romans or theological treatise of Things. No, it's a very practical letter. It goes to the nuts and bolts of church life. It focuses on what should be our conduct, our way of life as Christians in the church. It is full of pastoral admonition. There is a pastoral tone in this letter. And the focus is almost to bring forward, expound the teaching of Jesus. The older brother Jesus that had given in the Sermon on the Mount... Or even the book of Proverbs. There's a lot of emphasis in this book about wisdom. The wise and pure speech that we are to have. That wisdom, first of all, requires a control of the tongue. Of the way that we use our tongue. Meekness and gentleness. And also avoiding being quarrelsome. Those things are all fruit of wisdom. Uh, avoiding being slanderous and going beyond the back and doing things of a certain nature with our tongue. James 1 verse 19 starts saying, Believers, be all of you slow to speak. And in verse 26 of chapter 1, he warns them that if they don't bridle their tongue... Verse 26 of chapter 1, their entire religion is worthless. You can go to church, you can be uh, attending, you can be baptized, you can be a Christian. But if you don't bridle your tongue, your religion, is, it doesn't count anything to God. I mean, this is a serious matter. And so, James, through chapter 2, it's a famous discussion. It seems like these believers had a sort of knowledge of faith. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, but their fruits were demonstrating that their faith was not actually genuine. They had been perhaps part of a Bible belt back then. They had been the church. They had all the language. But the fruits were showing that their faith was not real faith because it was not producing good works. And so 
From chapter 3 now all the way to chapter 4, verse 12, James has to deal with the dissensions in the church, splits and uh, arguments and quarrels that have started, improper speech. And what is the root cause that James sees of all this? It's something in the heart. That there is a certain double-mindedness in these people. There's a certain envy. There's a certain carnality that shows up in the fruits of the way they speak. And what James wants us to see here is that we have to beware of how we use the tongue. Beware of how we use the tongue. Because out of the tongue will proceed all sort of dangers, which ultimately results in judgment. This is a serious matter. This is what we want to see from this text this morning. That we are called to tame the tongue, first of all, by, if you have your bulletin, by heeding a warning. There's a big warning that James is giving us in these verses. And later we'll see some examples by we tame the tongue by heeding the warning, but also by heeding the examples that practical examples that wise examples that James gives us. So let's first see that we tame the tongue by heeding the warning. Verses one and two, and also verses nine and ten contains two warnings that we will give an account for every word spoken. So the passage here starts with verse one. James begins with a command. He says, "Let not many of you." become teachers he's talking to churches and he's advising that only a few should become teachers this implies that at the time that james is writing this letter many were rushing to the pulpit many were rushing to become teachers and it shows us that an abundance of people want to aspire it's not necessarily a healthy thing now not necessarily the office of a preacher or senior pastor is in view here, but we do see a pattern in the New Testament where, you know, in the Jewish religion, you had all these scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees, which were expert in the law. And the, all the people flocked to hear their teaching, but Jesus was warning that many of these teachers were teaching good things but they were not practicing what they taught. And that was a big, big problem. That their way of life was not matching the teaching. And one can look at this or even at this heating of verse 1 and says, okay, well then we don't need preachers in the church. No. No, Jesus Christ was himself a teacher, a true rabbi. And he makes room in the you know, New Testament, makes room for the office of a preacher. Uh, Ephesians 4, for example, speaks of pastors and teachers in the church. So James is not discouraging the desire for the office, but he's warning us of the greater scrutiny and accountability that people of this nature will give before God. Because the context is that there might be people who want to approach this uh, in a very superficial way and they and not necessarily just you know in the pulpit but even in the church in general there might be people who wants to seek reputation by blaming others 
who displayed an immoderate desire to condemn and uh, want to be treated as masters of moral, as, yeah, almost putting themselves on the throne of God. And so that is the danger. That if you are in that condition and you go through it without acknowledging that that will give you plenty of opportunities to stumble. More words you say, the more chances that you make errors. And Proverbs, once again, chapter 10, verse 19, gives us an example of that. Proverbs, chapter 10, verse 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever strains his lip is prudent. So, teaching obviously implies that you have, in one way or the other, tell people their faults. You have to address sin. And, there, and, and we are not saying that this is not important. But again, James tells us something. And he's talking to believers. He's like, you want to do that? Well, there's something that you should know. Something that actually you should already know by this time. And that is, verse 1 again, that you will receive a greater judgment, a stricter, you will be judged with greater strictness, a heavier judgment. A few weeks ago, the Queen of England died. Uh, I know that uh, the Queen is no longer ruling this land for the past 200 years, and she has a certain code of conduct that she has to take as she goes on a dinner table, or she speaks, or she greets people, there are infinite rules that she has to keep. Why is that? Because of the office that she is in. Because of the high office of ruler of England, she is held to a higher standard. And friends, this is the same that James wants us to see here. That there is a greater Judgment. Now, when the word judgment comes here, it's not necessarily implying, okay, they're going to hell. Because he's saying, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers. That implies that these are believers, but as they will come to the last day to give an account to God for the souls that are being entrusted, there will be a strict judgment from the Lord. This is serious business. There will be rewards that will be lost. There will be a scrutiny which will be above the average Christian compared to other Christians. And so that awareness is key. Verse 2, as we face the stricter judgment, he says, we go knowing that we, it means all of us as Christians, stumble in many ways. Notice the parallel here. Many wants to be teachers, but the reality is that many of us stumble in many ways. Uh, stumbling here is referring to moral failures. We all sin. And when you're in a position of influence in teaching, you actually are causing or risking to make other people stumble with you. Because you're leading them astray. And we have to realize that none of us is perfect. And the person that is teaching and stumble and fall should know better because of the situation he has been placed in. Look at Jesus, what the warning he gives us in Luke chapter 12, verse 47. Luke chapter 12, verse 47 is a parable, but it takes 
two servants. And it says in Luke 12, verse 47, And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. Whereas the servant who did not know completely the master's will will receive less. And the point of the parable there is, it applies here. That you who have known and have thought and yet have failed to act, you will be under a stricter judgment. And God knows it. God knows it. We stumble, not just in general sins, but in context, we stumble with our lips, in the way we talk. Now, this does not imply that now a preacher or a teacher now has to be never offending anyone, friend with everyone, and always seeking to be men-pleaser. No, that, this is not the point here. But that stumble better be caused by the gospel and not in anything in you and in your sinfulness. And if that's the case, turn, repent, apologize. Do all you can to make things right. Here's a scenario that is given in verse 2. An ideal that James is putting before our eyes. He says, if anyone does not stumble in word, if anyone never, is, is never at fault or to be blamed in what he says, he is a perfect man. He's a mature man. He's a complete man. He has reached a level of self-control. He has been able to master all the other areas of life. Like this is a big, James wants us to see that this is a big deal. If you're able to master in this able, then you are able, it says in verse 2, to bridle the whole body. And the body here stands for your entire life will be under control. And that metaphor is also applied for the church. So that the whole church will be in a healthy position when we are controlling what comes out of the pulpit. The whole body of Christ, the church, benefits. That is the first warning. That we will give an account for every word spoken. But verses 9 and 10, part of that warning, that we need to heed that warning, is that we will give an account for every bad word spoken. Verse 9. There's an irony in this whole issue of controlling our tongue. Is that with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father... Blessing here means to speak well of God. We, we as believers, speak in a commendable way to God. We praise Him, didn't we? Just a few minutes ago, we praised and worshipped the Lord every Sunday. But the irony is that with the same tongue, we also curse, which is the complete opposite of blessing, which is the most ignoble form of speech that you can think of. Trash talk. To, to invoke a curse is to desire that that person be cut off from God and be punished. You almost like execrate them. You send imprecation upon them. You speak badly of your neighbor. And the problem is not just that you're speaking bad of men. But is that in the parallel here is that you bless God. And then you curse those who are made in God's image. What, what James wants you to see, that you are damning those who bear the image of God with your talk. But at the same time, 
you come and worship the Lord with your lips. And that, James tells us, is not genuine. That ought not to be. That ought not to be. Our praise to God cannot genuine if that is going on with our neighbor. There is an inconsistency, and it becomes blatant. Uh, James 4, verse 11, uh, brings this again. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. If, one do, if you do speak against the, the, your neighbor that way, you are speaking against the law. You judge. You become a judge of the law. Verse 10. Blessings and curses are coming out of the same tongue. Out of the same tongue. That's the double-mindedness. But what does James tell us? The, the things ought not to be so. Especially among Christians. That we become harsh toward the brothers and sisters in Christ one minute. While we pretend to praise Jesus the next. Things ought not to be so. And also, they cannot go on unchecked through time. Christopher Nessus wrote a theologian. He said, if Christ has his throne upon your conscience, his scepter will appear upon your conversation. Upon the way in which you talk. And so what we get here from this warning, uh, we heed this warning. If we want to receive God's commendation on the last day when we will appear before him, we are called to pay attention, a closer attention to the words we say and the way we speak. And this is a particular warning for those who teach. We live in a modern day of, of the church where there's a multiplication of theologians, teachers, and pastors, and, and uh, almost superstar. And, you know, YouTube, you know, you open YouTube and you have these bloggers and discernment ministries. Everyone seems to be so eager to wanting to come to a position where they, oh, I just want the position. I love it. I, I'm, I'm just going to have influence, authority. But do you realize what you're getting yourself into before the living God? And also the kind of culture we live in, it doesn't help, does it? When you open the TV and you watch the talk show, when you watch a movie and the talk that is given, when you watch politicians and what they're able to do with their tongue these days, and the model, the pattern that they're setting, and now they can get away with it, whereas years ago you, you would be off, caught lying, president of a country. That's not a small issue in the past. Today it's normal. And then the risk for the church is that, you know, in, in, even in, among preachers, pastors, there is this little coming in. I just want to come in and do it. But there's very little awareness of the accountability and the grave responsibility that it carries. Few considers the weight of approaching the Word of God. This means, first of all, do you have an accurate understanding of the Word of God? Because if you have a shallow understanding of the word of God and then you are going to pass it to others, you are putting people in danger. You will be held accountable. And friends, I don't have to tell you, I was talking with our brother yesterday. This land is full of shallow pulpits and it destroys souls. And the people who are in the pulpit will give an account. But there's also a certain problem in the, the practice of what you teach, the presumption when you are ignorant of the peculiar temptation that come with that, 
You will give an account to God. I was watching a, a video the other day, and this is more like a satire, a joke on, there was this, I think it was a Lutheran, and he went on the pulpit, but it's, it's a joke, but he's like opening his mouth toward people and saying a few words here and there, and just like uh, slammerous word, and people are just watching, and okay, it's meant to laugh, but if that's really sometimes the understanding of what it means to get into the pulpit, oh, we are in trouble that you presume and you go into it with a self-seeking motive and you become like that character, I don't know if you read the book Pilgrim Progress, Talkative, which is a saint abroad and a devil at home. Where the inconsistency between the two becomes so blatant. And you do not realize your own stumblings. That you, you who stand, take heed, yes, lest he fall. So you go to it, it's like, Lord, I am weak. I cannot do this. It's a whole different attitude change, isn't it? We preach first to yourself. Friends, I'm preaching this text to me, not to you. This is me who needs to change. And this needs to be every day. We need to realize that we are weak. When you teach, you open yourself to a whole host of checks and balances. And I know, friends, I know. Your church has suffered in the past from this a lot. Bad models. A bad preacher can affect entire congregations. It can create hurts. It can leave wounds that you don't want to trust anymore. You're just trying to keep it to yourself. You try, and it really damages even your view of God. It's the worst thing. And if that has happened to you, please, please don't do that. Don't allow the devil to laugh at it. It's like, I'm going to use this to, to this. Don't project on God, man's. And, they, and God knows. I want you to know that God knows. And all these bad examples will be given stricter account before him on the judgment day. God has not overlooked what has happened. He will deal in its time. And this is not only for preachers, okay? He goes, okay, I'm not a preacher, so I don't need to, I need to have a different stand. No, we are Christians. You bear the name of Christ on your badge. You are a representative of Christ wherever you go. And this goes for all of us. The way we speak about even issues in the church sometimes. People can do something wrong, but the way we handle that, we want to we wanna make sure that we do that in a godly way. And we don't allow someone's harm to then lead us the wrong path. And we want to understand that it is important that our profession of faith matches our, the way we live, our actions. But this is a, a warning call to sinners in general. That if you keep an eye on the way you use your tongue, good will follow too. And there is a positive aspect to that. But it starts by acknowledging the areas where you stumble, whether in, in doctrine, whether in, in talk, whether in certain situations. Uh, for me, for example, it's tiredness or things like that. And we have to be vigilant and watchful over those situations. That our life may not contradict the doctrine that we preach. That uh, we talk about shallow teaching can be destroyed. False teaching will call judgment. So let us be humble and say, Lord, 
Yes, God is willing to forgive our misspoken words. Yes, God is willing to restore us with true repentance. We repent of vomiting out words that we may have done in the past. We realize the lethal, destructive, poisonous effect of certain things in the church. And we also realize, as perhaps you have realized this past week, you know, you can go through Thanksgiving and you can go through Thanksgiving thanking God for the food, thanking God for this and that. But in reality, maybe there's areas in your life that you still, your tongue has not been sanctified. You still talk behind the back of somebody. But you're not talking behind the God who listens to all things. He knows and he tells you, that by cursing your neighbor, you're actually attacking God. And so we have to cease doing it. We're called to repent, which means drop it. And says, Lord, I, I confess my sin and I want to change. But also, ultimately, you can't do this on your own. You realize that Christ, you need Christ. He was the man that never sinned in his tongue. He always used his tongue without sin. He was full of grace and truth. He is your pattern. Instead, when he describes us in Romans 3 verse 13 is that our throat is an open grave. That's what we are. We use our tongue to deceive. The venom of asp is under our lips. That is your condition before a holy God. And God needs to transform it. You need to realize that you are worthy of judgment. But he is the perfect teacher. He, he, to the point of being maligned and all sort of things that he, they had done to him, he, he gave back no threats. His speech was perfectly under control. He breathed the Bible, even to the point of his death. Here it is, quoting Psalms, asking the Father to forgive them for they know not what they do. And he can provide forgiveness to you and me. Through the same gospel of salvation that, yes, uh, you recognize your unworthiness before him. And that only he can make you like him, Christ-like in keeping your tongue under control. But now let's look at our second point. Not only heeding the warning will help us to tame the tongue, but also heeding the wise examples that James gives us throughout this text. James gives us many practical examples here verses 3 to 8 11 to 12 and what we see first of all in verses 3 to 8 is that the tongue there's a problem here it's a big challenge we have to realize that the tongue is untainable and defiles everything now coming to the point that i'm telling you this you might come and say okay but why is this such a big deal i mean look at it the tongue is such a small thing isn't it why does it even matter? And James gives us now some example to help us to understand the principle that though the tongue is little, it has a big impact in your life. And it's so big that it will last for years if you're not careful to use your tongues. And you must brittle it like horses, okay? Don't need to give you an example. You know what he's talking about. You had a mule ride in this uh, town, right? Back in the days. And you can bridle that mule. And the bridle, the point of this is that the bridle is very small. Okay? It's a small, tiny thing. It goes, notice where does it go to bridle? In the mouth. 
and it keeps the animal in, under control. This whole body is under control. When you move him with your left foot or the right foot, the, the horse will obey you. And it turns whatever you want. Like, you know, today we have the steering wheel on the car. It does the same thing, doesn't it? You just keep it. And that is an image for the tongue. Just like that is small, so the tongue is small. But there's something different we'll see. Second example that he gives us here in verse 3 to 4 is the one of a ship. It's a big thing, the ship, isn't it? And there's violent winds, which means... The ship should collapse, and these are ancient ships in the Greek world. They could, they, however, can continue to be under control even under the, under the pressure of the wind. Through what? Through a very small rudder. The smallest thing you can think can control this entire vast ship wherever the pilot decides to turn. And verse 5 gives us the parallel to this is that what do we learn from these two examples? That in the same way the tongue is a little member, it's a very small thing in our body. And yet it boasts of great things. It makes great, grand speeches. Later on in force, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, James will rebuke us for boasting as something arrogant and evil. When you boast yourself, you vaunt yourself of great things, uh, Megalomaniac is the word that we get out of that word today. So, though the tongue is small, it arrogantly presumes that we are big. And what is this prideful talk? We stir up strive or we provoke people around us. And what happens? What is the result of that little small tongue? Is that it creates enormous damage. Thomas Brooks, a famous theologian of the past, says, We know metals by their tinkling and men by their talking. That means that the danger is great, and the way you know a man is the way he talks. Verses 5 and 6 continues with a third example, the example of a fire. Hmm? A small little spark ignites, the, set ablaze the whole forest. I was in Tennessee years ago. Uh, during my honeymoon, I was actually in Chattanooga. And we had a ranch on the top of the hill, and we could oversee the valley. Beautiful Tennessee. I love this state. And there it goes, a fire. Even though it was January, it started like a little spark. And then it developed into a whole fire. Have you ever been in one of those situations? I was burning wood in, in Italy uh, in front of our farm, and... We were just doing a wood, and we, we, you know, in the middle of the field, there's no trees. Everything is going to be fine. But it was, yeah, it was early spring. It was a little bit hot. Yeah, and the grass was a little bit dry, okay? But we thought, you know, let's do it, me and my brother. And the point here is what happens next. I turn around, and in a few minutes, the fire had gone all around the field. We start screaming. We start calling for the farmers next door. It's like, come and help us. And thank God we were able to quench it. But again, here the point is that a very little fire, it's quick. And it causes untold disaster. And when you use your tongue that way, that's what happens. You take few words, one word sometimes is enough to really create a lot of danger. 
it, devel it develops into a million words, and then later on you regret, why did I say that? And you live in bitterness because the tongue is a fire. It represents a fire, literally. It's a world of iniquity, the text says, a world of iniquity. But why? The tongue is not a thing in itself. It shows the depravity of our hearts. It shows up in the way we use our tongue. When we give vent to sin into an endless down spiral, and when you're in an argument, that's what happens. You got to stop it. You got to quench it before it develops too much. And those of us who are married know that. that there's a moment where you're like, you've just got to quench it. Because you're fighting against yourself. Your spouse and you are one flesh. And so it defiles the whole body, says the text. Have you ever been involved in a quarrel? And afterwards, you feel drain in your body. You feel the stress. And it never, you never win a fight. <laughs> you never. Your mind is impact. Your stress is high. You cannot sleep. You live full of regrets. That's because sin impacts our whole body. As well as our soul. Especially as Christians, we are the temple of the Spirit. We can grieve the Spirit in our talk. It puts a stain into your situation when you use, you turn harmony into chaos to the point that who's behind all this? It says, it sets on fire by hell itself. Satan is behind all of this. He's trying to destroy you. He's trying to destroy the church. He's trying to destroy your family. He's trying to destroy all your relationship. You need to realize who is at work here. Your own flesh and Satan. Verse 7 and 8. Now the analogy goes into other examples. From objects like ships and horses and fires to living thing. Every beast has been subdued. Birds, snakes, fishes... We have a brother here who takes care of uh, goats, you know. They have been brittle. You can't brittle. I mean, they're challenging, he tells me. But they have, they, they, you can say, even the most hard-to-control animals have man, mankind has been able to control it. But here's the shocking truth, friends, that no one has been able to subdue the tongue. It is the hardest job possible to Go from an uncontrolled to a controlled tongue. You think you got it. You think you got your tongue under control and the next minute it comes back again. Have you ever felt that way? It's never been done, James tells us. It's a restless evil. Uh, some of the church fathers denounced, for example, slander in the church as the restless demon that takes over and destroys churches. And it must be quenched. Proverbs 21, 23 instead says, Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Because this is a deadly poison. It will kill. It will kill. It will kill your relationship with friends. It will kill your family. It will kill the church. But now let's look at verses 11 and 12 to see how do we go about this. And the tongue we see there that has to be sanctified. But you have to go at the root. You have to go at the source of all things, which is I argue, the heart. Here's another image here. Springs. A spring, which is the origin of a river. Beautiful rivers in Tennessee. There's one on the baptistry I saw. It pours forth 
water. But James is telling you can't have both ways. Either it's pure water or it's unclean water. It can't be simultaneously a bitter, salted water and a sweet water that you can drink. And there, verse 12, trees. A tree cannot... You don't have a fig tree to produce olives and a vine producing figs. And I know this. I mean, I grew up in the Mediterranean in Italy, and we these trees are everywhere. But you never have one tree giving you the other kind of fruits. They're opposed to each other. So therefore, what James wants you to see here is that a pure heart cannot produce false, bitter, harmful speech. That cannot be. A pure heart cannot have that as a source all the time. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 15 to 20, it's impossible of reaping both fruits. You can't bless God and curse your neighbor at the same time. You are cursing God by cursing your neighbor. And therefore, only a renewed heart can produce pure speech. Have you ever noticed if you look back at your life, if you have been in Christ, one of the clear signs that I felt like is the way my speech changed after I came to Christ. It was, I could not believe it. That God gave through the Holy Spirit self-control, let's say, when I had to reply to certain things and the way that God was sanctifying, it's that conversion moment you look at years before where you were super sinful with your talk and God all of a sudden grants you. But then as you grow in this Christian life, you never graduated. And that's the point of this text, that it has never been brittle. It's a constant fight. And then the fountain, to conclude here, is the fountain cannot be salty and fresh. It cannot have curse and praise at the same time once again. A hateful heart cannot produce loving words. And a, and a, and a loving heart cannot produce, should not produce hateful words all the time. Richard Sibbs, another famous theologian, says, A word of a man is as powerful as himself. What do we get here? Is that, we get that if we want to clean up our sinful talk, we must acknowledge that getting at the root of our sin is a continuously challenging task. This is not easy. You have to watch it over time. You have to realize that your life, the good of your family, your children, your grandchildren, your spouse, the people in the church, everything depends on it. We will suffer the consequences. One single word can, can cause a lot of harm. And notice, this is not easy for anyone. You think you got it, but then it comes back. Whether it's through cussing, whether it's bad words, whether it's gossiping, whether it's slander, whether it's... This is a scary thought that it's almost impossible to conquer. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. That's why by yourself you cannot do it. You say, Lord, I repent for my bad patterns in my tongue. And there, there's, there can be also like looking at good models of people around you. And maybe changing those relationships where it's poisonous... And, and instead, be around people who are godly. Be, be around people who use their tongue for good. And you are called to master the tongue. You do not be sad. God will not be satisfied with all oh, I aspire to. He wants you to do it. Proverbs 15, 28 says, The heart of the righteous ponder out an answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil. Settle your horse. 
grab hold of the wheel in the boat, quench the fire right now. You can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. Either you do it or your Christian life will be miserable. Don't be content to be a surface love level because your conversations come from your heart. You have to dig deep and say, Lord, creating me a pure heart. And now you might be saying to today, okay, I'm not a preacher. Or maybe, oh, I'm not a Christian, so I'm not held to the, this great standard that they got. <laughs> no. No, friends. Know this. For every person in this earth will give an account for every word spoken. Every single word. On the last day, you will be either justified by your words or you will be condemned. And your own mouth will judge you. Matthew 5, 22, Jesus says, anyone who is angry with someone else will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to another, Raka, which is stupid, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now you think that you got it. You think, I never murdered. I never did anything great. I'm actually pretty good. I'm going to pass the test. Well, Jesus is saying, if you do this small little tiny things, you are already worthy of hell. And then I'm telling you, I'm pleading you with you to realize that you cannot save yourself. That you cannot go on that day and say, Lord, I'll compensate those bad things with those good things. It's not going to work. You do this. You transgress one point. You transgress it off. You cannot save yourself. And that is why you need Jesus Christ. That all that bad talk came to the ear of Jesus and they mocked him at the cross. They, we did. That was our sin. We were the one who put him there. And he bore the wrath of God for our sins. And even G Peter, Peter, oh, I love you, Lord. I'll die for you. And oh, I never knew him. And he watches him being beaten, dying for him. That look of Peter to Jesus. Jesus looks to Peter. and But then... Because of the cross, because of the bloodshed, and Jesus forgives, for you know not what you do. But repent of this and come to him, trust in him, rely on his perfect work. Give up trying to save yourself and say, Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. You died even for the sins of my tongue. While I was still a sinner, while I betrayed you, you died. There's power, friends, but also danger in the tongue. It's a taste of life or a savor of death from the same tongue. Use the tongue, comes greater judgment. Men will have to give an account of the day of judgment for every careless words they have spoken. Matthew 12, 36 says, the tongue tears down others. It destroys churches. It destroys families. It destroys marriages. It destroys personal relationships. And it's hard to fix it once it's done. It can even lead to murder. Or wars have started through bad talk. Probably Putin had a, a conversation with somebody. And it's like, and it started an entire war. One minute we use the, word, the tongue to bless God and the other we slander. This is as absurd as a fountain producing both salty and, and sweet water. It's, it's as absurd as a single tree giving two kinds of fruits. And you might say now, I, I know I stumble. 
I know, I am aware of this, but I don't know how to do it. I tried. I tried my best and I get, and I fall again. And that's where I want to tell you, whether you are bad talk with your children or elderly people, you know, sometimes we can struggle with murmuring and complaining, or maybe people who have been single for a long time in their life, you know, they, they can tend to, yeah, go unchecked over things like that. This can impact the church. This can impact work, when you are at work and the way you deal with things. This impacts, and you say, I, I don't know how to stop it. I tried it, but I failed. And I'm not just here to say, okay, just try to shut up next time it will work. No. You got to go to the heart. You got to go to the heart. Because your heart controls your tongue. A failure of speech reflect, reflect a failure of the heart. An allegiance in your heart that needs to be dealt with. To me, it's far more important than you saying, okay, this time I was able to be silent and going through it. Your heart is the control of your life. And therefore... Lord, create a clean heart. Give me love for you. Keep my tongue for evil. Help me and my speech to adorn the fact that I'm supposed to represent you, even with unbelievers and with people around you. I'm, so, I'm your representative. I'm a Christ follower. Help me, Lord. So let us use our tongue to, our tongue to bless others, watching our mouth, because it will either build or destroy our life. Let us pray. Gracious God, what we will be once again other than a man of unclean lips living in a, among the people of unclean lips, Lord. And we do come to you strongly aware, Lord. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can ascend the hill of the Lord but those who keep their tongue for, from evil? Oh, Lord, please help us in this area. And especially, Lord whether it's aspiring to the preaching or whether it's personal Christian walk with the Lord, to realize that we will give account for the words we use, Lord, that we are supposed to set an example, Lord, and there will be patterns, perhaps patterns that go on for years that have left unchecked and we know not what to do. But we come to you, Jesus Christ, who is able, Lord, to forgive, to cleanse, to purify, and to give us a resolution in the heart, Lord, to clean clean our hearts and create a pure heart so that from now on we walk in obedience to you from now on lord we turn away the ways in which our tongue has not lifted you up and we start to build each other up in the church and we start to lord bless you with our mouth yes but also look at our heart lord our secret sin and say lord we lay it all out and we say please forgive us grant us to turn away from it lord that months years from now lord we will look at a different man, more Christ-like. A different woman, more Christ-like. A different father, a different mother, a different worker. Lord, transform us, we pray, only by the power of your Spirit. Forgive us of our sins, Lord, and indeed help us to repent. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.